sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Scott Fuger. We're talking all about Matt Fraction and David Aha's run on Hawkeye. There are a couple other artists here and there in the run, but for the most part, it is those two creators along with Matt Hollinsworth, and we will be discussing all sorts of various aspects of this. But first, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing pretty well. We're just going to dive right in here, and I think... For me, this is one of my favorite of the more recent comics because this comic was in progress when I first signed up for Marvel Unlimited. I think it was towards the end of its run because I want to say 2015 was the year I picked up Marvel Unlimited and just started making my way through a bunch of things. But this was a comic that came highly recommended from multiple people. And I think it's just because it's such a unique take on the character. It's like when you think of Hawkeye, especially with the MCU being 10 years in now, you probably think of that version of Hawkeye before you would think of this one that we see in this particular run. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually not super, I haven't stayed very current on the uh, Marvel movies. So for me, this is actually the first uh, Hawkeye comic that I read. I think when I start when I started Marvel Unlimited, I asked you for some recommendations, and this is one of the ones that you said, and I loved it enough that I picked up. Uh, they have the whole thing in like two slightly oversized uh, hardcover editions. So I just read through those over the last couple of days again to uh, refresh myself, and really enjoyed it the second time around too. Yeah, I kind of blew through it yesterday on Marvel Unlimited. I was just like sitting on the couch and I was like, okay, yes, I remember all of this. And we'll talk about certain issues that stand out and everything like that. But, you know, with Aha, it's been a thing about the pronunciation of his last name. And I know you have a little sidebar on that before we move forward, because technically, I guess his first name is not David, but that's how it's spelled and pronounced here. So that's what I always say. So I guess, you know, everyone just pronounces his name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think last time, or when we did like the Marvel Unlimited, Unlimited episode, we probably ran into the, the similar thing. So I wanted to be definitive this time. And so it's definitely aha. <laughs> yeah. And when he's in Spain, his first name is David instead of David, which makes sense because they pronounce things differently there and different letters have different pronunciations. But, you know, we'll link to a fun little article on that. And one of the things I want to start with for this run is just talking about the various relationships that Clint has. And the two big ones are his relationship with Kate Bishop and his relationship with his dog Lucky. So why don't we start with Lucky? Because I feel like this one's going to go by a little faster just because Lucky is a dog. So <laughs> you know, it's sort of this thing where Clint gets into trouble and the dog tries to help and winds up being severely injured and you know has to go through strenuous surgery and recovery and everything like that. So the dog ends up with one eye but you know he's still a perfectly fine dog to have in your apartment and everything like that and I just really like that they gave this story that added element there because there are certain 
Marvel characters that are tied to like an animal sidekick, like when you see Lockjaw or something like that. But for this, it wasn't necessarily that Lucky was his sidekick, so to speak. He was his pet that he just came across and ended up keeping because no one else was really paying attention to this dog or feeding this dog. And ironically, the dog's name was initially Arrow. So, of course, he had to change that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really loved how it was Arrow originally. And he was like, well, we'll find you something better. Didn't really want him uh, encroaching on his territory, I guess. <laughs> but um, like, he, Lucky was actually introduced in right in issue one, and I thought uh, something that like stood out to me, and that was kind of, you know, in the first scene of issue one is Clint falling out of a building and then waking up in the hospital, and the doctors going over like all the injuries that he had, and then you know, like later on in the issue when he brings Lucky into the vet the it like really mirrors that first scene with the vet kind of saying you know this this is wrong with him this is wrong with him you know he's not a good candidate for surgery but you know I, I thought it was really cool how they kind of introduced both the characters in a similar way yeah and what's interesting with his relationship with the dog too is that he sort of pays more attention to the dog than he does most people and I think you know with animal lovers it might be that way for a lot of them where it's like you know they focus their attention on the animals and with Clint it's just something different for him because as you see throughout the run he sort of is always letting people down and there's nothing that he really does to try and change that he just keeps pushing people away but with the dog you know the dog is there to stay no matter what happens to either Clint or the dog you know it's like the dog is sort of one of the few priorities in his life that's until he uh you know, jump ship and goes to the West Coast with Kate, though. <laughs> yeah, true. But you do see that Clint is fairly upset about it. He's like, oh, she took the dog. Like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was definitely a little bit of a blow, but, you know, a happy reunion in the end. <laughs> yeah, that actually kind of leads us into the relationship between Clint and Kate. And it's never something that is, you know, like super romantic or anything like that it's obvious that he's sort of taking on this mentor role even though he might not be the best pick for a mentor but it's like okay who else is gonna show you how to shoot a bow and arrow and you know do all these crazy things with them but as far as how he acts it's like okay here's what not to do pretty much and I think that sort of strengthens their relationship throughout the run because you see that Kate is always coming back no matter how mean Clint can be or anything like that and then you see her take the dog and it's like okay you know she's not putting up with Clint but in a way she's always going to stick around and be there for him but she does this one thing that she kind of knows will probably get under his skin a little and then I think it's sort of just to teach him a lesson a bit too yeah I think so too um you know like I think a little bit before she left um she kind of gave like this big speech to him, you know, saying, you know, no matter basically the stuff you just said, like, no matter how shitty you are, like, I'll still be around, whatever, like, we'll be here for each other, help each other out all the time. And then she looks over, she holds it, she grabs his hand and then looks over and he's asleep, uh, which I thought was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, even like when she's out in LA, you know, she's still 
like there's one scene where she pulls out like the usb arrow and then like flashes back in yeah. to her and like basically saying how useless it is but you know then it, it comes in handy in the end so <laughs> and then another thing uh in the additions that i have it actually includes uh i think it's i think it's one of the avengers it's the young avengers uh an issue from there that kind of goes into uh it go, it's like a flashback to when I guess after Civil War, Hawkeye became Ronin for, or during Civil War. I'm kind of confused about the timeline a little bit. Okay, um, I definitely did I guess not it's after that one. Captain, Captain America is dead, so it must be after Civil War. Okay. Um, but it's when Kate took up Hawkeye, the name Hawkeye. Right. And uh, it's like Hawkeye confronting her as Ronin. He like tests her and then he, you know, brings her back to the Avengers headquarters and uh, you know, tries to teach her a lesson by, uh, like, does the thing where you shoot an arrow and then you shoot an arrow into the arrow after she says it's impossible. And, like, he bets her, you know, if if I can make this shot, then you got to give me the name Hawkeye back. You got to give me my bow back. And then he makes it, of course. And, you know, she leaves. But then later that night, when the Avengers are out on a mission, she sneaks back in and steals it back. And then, you know, once he sees that, he's like, he's basically like, you got spunk kid like you know keep the uh bow and you can we'll both use the hawkeye name so i mean that was good supplemental material like not quite as like an origin story but kind of you know bring back to how their relationship started yeah and that's interesting because there was also a moment in this run where that same shot is made and i believe it's kate who makes it you see the arrow split the other arrow and it's sort of just this look at the target in that one panel so that's kind of a nice nod to that then that i didn't even fully catch because when you're reading these things on marvel unlimited you're not getting the same order necessarily unless you go look up the specific trades that were released to see if there were any additional issues from other series put in like you said that one was young avengers or something like that so it was not something that would be in the hawkeye section in marvel unlimited so you know i guess that's another sort of con to binge reading in marvel unlimited (laughs) you don't always get the full order of everything but that's on me because i could have looked that up but i i just think that the relationship between these two even as the run goes you can see it changing constantly you know you see when they are in the limo going to this big fancy party and everything you know kate kind of puts her hand on top of clint's and she turns and he's asleep so she's trying to have this moment and he's just talking about sandwiches in his sleep (laughs) and it's just one (laughs) of those things where it's like okay typical clint and here's kate trying to just you know let him know that she's there for him no matter what and it still wasn't like this super romantic moment it was more of like this endearing almost father-daughter relationship at times and you know even Clint's like he makes a comment early on in the run because I don't want to sleep with you sort of thing yeah I think it was a good thing that they included that because then it really does kind of frame the way you look at their relationship going forward yeah yeah and like this is such a you know character-based series that I think you know it's a really good idea to like establish early on like how each character kind of sees each other initially so you know the relationships can continue to develop and that's like another 
exciting part of reading the story. Yeah, the next thing I sort of want to dive into that sort of spins off of this is their portrayal of Clint throughout this run, because this is something we haven't really seen before. And honestly, I think this is the only straight up solo Hawkeye series that I have read. I honestly don't even know if there are others, to be honest. I'm sure there was after this, but as far as before this and with the history of the character, I only know Hawkeye from watching the MCU movies and reading maybe some of the older Avengers comics where he's in those, but it's as a team, so it's not a solo story. And I think they just made him really likable in this, even though at times he isn't because he does push people away and you see him getting a divorce from Bobby and you see how he had treated Jessica Drew. You even have Natasha appear in this and you know they call her the work wife which is very in line with what we know between the relationship that those two have in the movies as well so I did like that that they sort of kept Natasha and Clint as that same friendship role that they already established in the movies and everything but it's just one of those things where yes he's an Avenger but Avengers can also be sort of down on their luck and have these real world problems to deal with that aren't you know aliens coming out of a portal or anything like that so I think they did a really good job with grounding this character so to speak. Yeah I think you know it's really kind of rooted in reality and you know like you said like down on your luck he's kind of like an average guy just you know trying to get by you know living his life kind of trying to do like the right thing and like outside of the context of good and evil like strictly like major like good and evil like all the you know <clears throat> like i'm reading through ultimate spider-man still and i'm about to get to secret wars and i'm like i don't even know what i'm gonna do with that mess how much of it i'm gonna read and stuff um so like i think you know having it rooted more in you know everyday life you know I, in the trade i have it says like like the synopsis right in the like first page was like this is what an avenger does when he's not being an avenger i was like that's like really refreshing and something that we don't really see in most of the comics very often yeah exactly and just the fact that they have him going up against these quote-unquote villains that are really just everyday people for the most part you know you have the landlord who is just part of this Russian crew, basically, and they own, I believe they said it was like every building for three or six blocks or something like that. And, you know, Clint gets into it with them and buys the building and then they want it back. And that's a lot of what this story revolves around as far as who Clint is fighting against. But then you also have Madame Mask, and she's sort of this rich girl who who inherited her dad's money and everything like that and she wears this you know sort of gold flamboyant mask around and she's probably more of a villain so to speak than the russian guys are but you constantly see those characters throughout this run and it's like okay you know, the story kind of grows with it, too, as they start to bring in other people to take care of Clint and even Kate at one point. So you just have this really great story that is so focused on what is going on 
with Clint's life outside of being an Avenger, none of this has anything to do with the Avengers at all. And I think that's what makes it nice because then you can have those appearances from Natasha and Bobby and Jessica Drew. And it doesn't have to be like, okay, hey, Clint, we need you to go do this for the Avengers and blah, blah, blah. It's just like they pop in, they leave, and then it's not like it's making Clint go focus on these other things necessarily. Sure, he has some divorce papers to sign, but you know that's not taking him away from fixing his current problem. Yeah, I was actually reading like a few articles uh, about this because it was kind of like a sleeper hit um, that people weren't expecting. And like one of the things that they, you know, were kind of like focusing on was the fact that, you know, at least for the first half of the run, especially like the stories are really, you know, it's like you read one issue and it makes sense. You know, you don't have to worry about everything else going on, like you were saying. And also, you know, the, the fact that it's like, or yeah, just the fact that it's, you know, really kind of insular to both the series and the individual issues kind of allows anyone to pick it up, whether you're a big fan of everything Marvel or whether it's like, I mean, it would be a great, you know, first comic even. And I think, you know, you mentioned like the Russian guys, <laughs> their uh, use of overuse of the word bro, yeah. uh, I think is <laughs> kind of something that really, you know, it's like something super unique to this and something that, you know, like you can imagine that in your head. And like, just the fact that it, like kind of happens so often throughout the series, it's like it is kind of part of like the definition of the series. Like there's just on like, you know, like I said, going through like articles and stuff like there's so many you know, little jokes that, you know, are inside jokes, but to anyone who even read, like, one issue, they, like, would totally make sense saying, like, bro, come on, bro, bro, like, I don't know, I just think it was really cool how they kind of used that to, like, help create the identity of the comic. Definitely, and one of the other things I want us to touch on here is the fact that, you know, you have Kate and Clint together for basically the first half of this run and then we see her leave with Lucky so we have these two stories going on and it's a little hard to tell if they're happening simultaneously or not because obviously Kate had to make her way from Brooklyn to the west coast and it seems like she drove so I would imagine that Clint's story just continues for those days that she's driving out there and you know she meets this couple and wants to sort of try out being a PI while she's out there and things don't quite go as she had planned. So then you have these two stories going on and it does get a little confusing at times just because you're like, okay, are these all happening at the same time or are there a few days in between because of that drive time? It's not really clear, but at the same time, I'm not entirely sure it needs to be. I think the more important thing is that Kate is going off on her own and trying to figure things out away from Clint to see, you know, possibly if her problem is the fact that she keeps sticking around with Clint or if, you know, she really does want to do this on her own instead now or that sort of thing. So I thought that was an interesting way to have her do that. Yeah, I really like, uh, especially Kate's storyline with uh, Madam Mask uh, when she's out in California. Um, it's weird. Another thing about the additions I have is like the back half of it 
a lot of them are like out of order and like I'm trying to like they were purposely put in that order of course but like it didn't really make sense to me the way they had them and I can't really imagine the way that they were originally published either so like the timelines between the two sides of things get kind of confusing but um yeah I think when they all like when both sides come back together for like the last couple issues it's kind of a really good payoff you know after them being apart for so long it really um you know it feels like a good conclusion to the story yeah absolutely well i want to talk about some of the standout issues from this run because every run is going to have its highs and lows and i feel like with this only being 22 issues as far as the hawkeye series itself goes not any other issues that they include in the trades or anything but with these 22 issues i think there was only one where i was like okay i guess there was a point to this and that was the kids cartoon issue yeah, that and one's really weird yeah it's it's like they wanted to give clint a break so they kind of just bookended the comic with him so he was there at the beginning turning on the show for them and then we see the kids watching the show and you know it's mostly a bunch of superhero dogs I guess so to speak so maybe it's some sort of metaphor for Clint's life where a bunch of the dogs have powers and then there's this one that doesn't and that's supposed to be Hawkeye I guess you could look at it that way and maybe that's exactly what they were intending I don't know but then you see at the very end you know the mom wakes up and gets ready to leave and she sees Clint is fast asleep and the kids are, you know, told to be quiet. So they be quiet and then they leave and Lucky just curls up with Clint on the couch. Yeah, I wonder if that one was to kind of, if they were maybe in like a time crunch for uh, a couple issues, like art wise or something, because it was definitely a very different like art direction too. I'm not sure if there was a different artist on that issue or anything, but it also seemed kind of weird that it was referencing an issue that was like, at that point would have been almost a year ago because it was supposed to happen during I think issue like 11 and that was like issue 17 so I guess like half a year ago but and that the issue that they were referencing where Clint like saves the people the building on Christmas that's another one that I kind of was a little bit confused by because it's like at the start of the issue he had just saved the building and then at the like throughout the issue it kind of flashes back to why he needed to but it never really addressed how he did I think yeah I'm not entirely sure on that and you know like we said some things get a little muddled with the order and everything like that because I do remember the kids were like oh we want to watch the show and then it's like several issues later they're finally watching the show (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that was a little weird but um I don't know. One of my, I think my personal favorite of the issues was um, the two-parter, actually, uh, the tape, um, which is where you know there's a leaked video of Hawkeye murdering a terrorist um, that you know Shield said was a Navy SEAL or whatever, and so he has to go and uh, you know bid on this auction to get the only copy of the tape, and then. That's where Kate originally runs into Madame Mask and she, you know, knocks her out, dresses up as her, and then, you know, stops Hawkeye from bidding so she can bid, which seemed kind of, 
I guess it kind of makes sense the way it was like, you know, oh, you know, story-wise, it's like you think that, you know, stuff's gone wrong, but then in the end, it turns out right, um, which I thought was pr- cool about that. Um, and actually, I read an interview today with uh, Matt Fraction where I guess originally when he pitched the series, it was kind of supposed to be like those two episodes were kind of like a more like a James Bondy type feel to it. Um, and then he ended up having to, you know, retool it and come back. But um, I thought those two uh, really stood out and was a, you know, good co- cohesive story that kind of also set up a lot of the um, rest of the series. Yeah, and we do have a few times that the artist switches up. I believe it was that tape issue number four. And you have a different artist there. You have Frank Avia on a couple of issues, and then you also have Annie Wu on some of the later issues. She is more so when she comes in when Kate goes on her trip, pretty much. So she does a handful of issues while Kate is out in LA and everything like that or wherever it is in California. I'm just guessing LA. Um, but it's one of those things where sometimes you notice the difference in the art, but I think when Annie Wu came in and took over, I didn't notice a huge difference. And I think a lot of that has to do with Matt Hollingsworth and the coloring work that he did, because I definitely want to touch on that since it's a much different field than what you normally get when you're just sort of not doing as different of a story as you are with this one. Like if you are reading the Avengers or Captain America or Spider-Man, for the most part, the art and the coloring on those books will look very similar unless they're doing something different with the story. And I think with this, it gave them a little more leeway to have this book look different than a bunch of the main staple titles, I guess. Yeah, I really love the coloring and I think it works really well with the, it's kind of like minimalist artwork. You know, it's not like super 3D in your face, like a lot of the kind of like early to mid 2000s stuff was. Right. You know, it's kind of the artwork in itself is kind of muted and flat. And then the color palette is like, you know, kind of it'll be like two or three kind of different palettes throughout the issues. But within the pages, it'll like really stick to one. And I think it just it makes it really cohesive. It makes it like really unique. And it really is something that kind of like stands out to me um, as something that I enjoy about this run. In addition to the story. Yeah, and I personally really enjoy Frank Avia's work. Hopefully I'm saying his last name properly. I'm, you know, using the Spanish version of those double L's there. But (laughs) it's one of those things, you know, he's an artist I follow on Instagram. And he sort of has this noir feeling and old school sort of horror poster vibe to his work. So I think in certain instances that works well for this and I believe the two issues he was on might have been sort of the more standalone issues as well Uh, I'm trying to remember I'm not quite sure but yeah (laughs) yeah it's hard to keep things straight especially when you sort of breeze through them like you and I did to catch up for this but I know we each have an issue that we 
really want to talk about here too. So we're going to backtrack a little bit and talk about these two standout issues. And for me, issue 11 is the one where the story is told from Lucky's perspective. And I just found that to be so creative and so different because, you know, we've been seeing the dog since the first issue. And now we get to see things from his perspective. And you can see that most of the words are sort of just jumbled and scribbles. And then you see certain words pop up. And, you know, it's scenes that we've already had a chance to read through. So now we're just seeing it from Lucky's perspective. So there's some, you know, like slightly different angles and stuff like that. And you see him going out, going up to the roof, and he gets into a little more trouble on his own. And he actually knows about the dead body up on the roof before Clint does. So I thought that was interesting to be like, okay, the dog knows this. But he doesn't really have a way of telling his owner that, hey, you know, there's a dead person on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that I really liked that issue, too. You know, um, I kind of like we were mentioning in the first at the start how, you know, him and Clint are one of like the main relationships. So, you know, putting us in his in his shoes was a really cool, um, you know, like you said, way to kind of get a new perspective on the events that we already saw and kind of fill in some of the blanks too. And then the other issue that stood out to me in that way was uh, in issue 19 after Clint, I think he gets shot or at least he's close to getting shot and he ends up uh, going deaf, which, you know, it's kind of a similar uh, creative storytelling uh, where, you know, they have, AHA has like a really cool, it's almost like a, like a manual type like feel to some of his work and so like you know when he shows like people using sign language it does it in like figure one figure two figure three figure four and I thought you know that really was cool and then also you know just the way that you're kind of experiencing it the way Clint is as a deaf person you know kind of either not quite hearing not quite being able to read everyone's lips or not quite you know, if he's like, he flashed back to when he was a kid and he also had like temporary deafness. So he did know sign language and he was able to read lips a bit, but, you know, kind of you having to fill in the blanks when you don't fully understand what someone's saying. Um, I thought that was, you know, a really cool way to, you know, bring something kind of fresh to the way they were telling the story. Yeah. And even if you don't understand sign language, it was still sort of easy to go along with the story and follow along because you had this general idea of everything that happened beforehand and how Clint handles things by the time you get to issue 19. So it's like, okay, Clint is going to react in typical Clint fashion. And you even see, you know, Barney saying that in the comic and everything like that. So that is definitely a very interesting issue too. And I really do just think everyone should go read this Hawkeye run because I think it might change a lot of people's minds about how they feel about the character because I feel like in the movies he's sort of like not necessarily the least liked but it just feels like he's kind of 
the least important team member, I guess you could say, or something like that. But also, real quick here, I do want to note that Francavilla is actually Italian, not Spanish. My apologies. <laughs> the languages are very similar, though, as far as pronunciations go from what I know. So hopefully I'm still saying that correctly. But who knows, because <laughs> I feel like I say this every time I talk about comics. I'm like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these names right. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that pretty much like everyone should read it. Um, I think I've read like one or two other um, kind of like maybe four to five like quick Hawkeye series that they had and they, they didn't quite hit home the same way. You know, obviously he's a superhero, so a lot of the stuff is more superhero-y, but I, I just feel like this is such a good like characterization of him and gives like such a you know, unique take on kind of any sort of character in the Marvel universe um, that, you know, it's really, it stands out so well on its own. And yeah, <laughs> I think it's, a, it's really great. And, you know, lots of the best comic lists included as well. So that's just another thing for it, <laughs> going for it. Yeah. And just one last thing that I want to note here is that Fraction's story really meshed well with the art style that we got from all of the artists in this run so it really just came full circle for me it it was sort of like okay you have Hawkeye here and he's in this state of mind to start the comic and that doesn't really change by the end of it necessarily but it's just like he's sort of gone through this entire cycle of bad things happening and here he is again and it's like you can almost picture them just doing not ex the exact same thing over again but having Clint sort of just go through this again in a different way for sure yeah I mean and I think that's kind of another reason that's good that's like a short and sweet series like 22 issues was like a really good run for it I think um because like you said there's not it's like you get to know who he is better but you he, there's not really like kind of like a full sort of growth so it's like it's just like a really good kind of like establishing shot of like here's this character and you know it kind of leaves it open for the future too which is you know always nice but um you know i think it's like a really good kind of like solid foundation to get a hang of you know who you want who they want you to see Clint Barton as and you get like a really you know fully rounded image of it yeah and this run is equally as important for Kate Bishop because we see her get her own Hawkeye series after this and I had started reading that and from what I read I did enjoy it I have to go back and see how much of that is on Marvel Unlimited now but it's one of those things where yes this story was largely about Clint and his life but Kate still held a certain amount of importance in all of the issues too so it was sort of more like a joint effort with these two characters as Hawkeye since they both go by the name for sure yeah I've, I've been meaning to go back and check some of the Kate Bishop solo stuff out and probably add those to my reading list now <laughs> yeah I feel like with Marvel Unlimited it's a never-ending reading list I'm still making my way through all of the old amazing Spider-Man issues i'm actually going in like 
chronological order for the history of Spider-Man. So every now and then I'm like dipping into Daredevil or X-Men or wherever he goes in other series as well. So it is a very lengthy process, but it is chugging along. I should probably pick back up with that soon, but there's going to be an onslaught of San Diego Comic-Con news coming this week. It'll be over by the time you all hear this, but it is going to be a lot to keep up with. I'm sure. And I've seen those spreadsheets for Amazing Spider-Man reading order, so (laughs) that's definitely a a huge endeavor. Yeah, Marvel was putting together posts, and I think they ended up just breaking them down by year. So it's (laughs) been a post for every year since 1963, pretty much. So it's a a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. This is probably one of my favorite comic book runs that I have read, and with so many comics out there, it, it's kind of hard to say that, but I also feel very comfortable saying that. I don't know if it would be, you know, top three necessarily, but it it's pretty high up there, maybe top 10 at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, if I made room for it on my bookshelf, I definitely think highly of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on to talk about some other comics here soon or movies or books or what have you. Anything you want, we can talk about. But for now, we're going to wrap this up. And to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.